Welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor, where life, sports, and medicine intersect. I'm your host, Dr. Derek Burgess. It's like, be strong and courageous because the Lord is with you, you know? like It's kind of like, hey, I know that you're waiting on me to move, but I need you to also be brave and go fight your battles and be about your business, and I will be right there with you. All right, tonight we have... Uh... Lieutenant Jessica Tibbs Grantham almost said Dr. Jessica Grantham. So because I'm so used to having physicians on the show, but no, tonight we have Lieutenant Jessica Grantham, um, who is actually a Naval flight officer. Um, this is a very exciting story. I've been waiting for this episode to um, actually record it for a long time. And this is going to be a treat for all the listeners. Uh, Jessica, welcome to this podcast. And I cannot wait Hi, to share your thank story. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is my first ever uh, podcast interview. So oh, well, wow. all right. <laughs> Hopefully Perfect. it's not too, too painful. No, no, no. This is going to be great. This is, this is going to be epic, I promise. <laughs> all right. So, okay, great. Uh, tell us about your early life and where you grew up and about your family a little bit. Um, well, I grew up in Laurel, Mississippi, which uh, used to be a very, very small town. And now <laughs> it's kind of gotten a little bit bigger <laughs> with HDTV shows exactly. and everything. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But um, my parents immigrated from Uganda a couple of years before I was born. My mom is a physician. She's a pediatrician. And she did her, um, I think, intern year and residency in Chicago. And then she, but she placed in Laurel for her actual full, full, full-time doctor job. Um, and that's kind of where we were, uh, for the rest of our lives. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, it was funny, you know, knowing your mom's story, I remember she said that they came here for a short period of time, kind of as a loan repayment. And like you said, it became the rest of your life. Yeah, my mom, she just got stuck. She loved yeah. the pace. She loved how easy it was to raise kids here. She loved the caseload. She's like, we're not leaving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. And tell us about your dad. Don't leave dad out. Oh, yeah, dad. So my dad actually was a Ugandan tennis player. So he played for the national team. Um, he went to Wimbledon. Um, and he, when he and my mom got married and realized that she would need to go to the States to further her career, um, he went with her and he taught at a country club while she was, um, in Chicago at their hospital. And he was an excellent teacher. And then when she was like, all right, we're moving again. He was like, all right. And he picked up and <laughs> came down to Laurel and taught at the country club. And then eventually uh, they saved enough money to build courts uh, out behind the house so that he could teach privately at home. And I think what's funny about a small town is that pretty much everyone knows my parents in one of two ways. Either my mom has treated their kid or they have had my dad teach them tennis lessons or he guest taught at the high school or something like that, or they see him at the gym, you know, like, I think everyone almost knows my parents. <laughs> now you're right. That's small town America. So when I first moved here, and yeah. I moved to Laurel in 2014, um, got to meet your parents. And, you know, like you said, your dad ended up teaching my kids in tennis. 
And I remember coming over to the house and I don't, I think you were already away because yeah, you were already at the Naval Academy at that point. Um, but we came mm -hmm. over and I remember your dad telling us, oh, my oldest daughter is in the Naval Academy. And it was just kind of floored me because number one, <laughs> being a African-American female and being at the Naval Academy, you know, that was already very awesome. And then I'm not going to jump, I'm not going to get ahead, but you know, I'll let you tell your story, but I was very impressed from the beginning. So I've already kind of mentioned the Naval Academy. So growing up Laurel, Mississippi, um, attending a small uh, private high school, how do you get to the Naval Academy? How does that even come about as a dream for you? Um, I think I kind of have a little bit of a funny story because my story is definitely not you know, I dreamed of joining the Navy since I was three and four years old, you know, yeah. um, I, my mom had a nurse uh, practitioner at the time, I think moonlighted at, at our hospital and she was awesome. And she said that she used to be in the Navy and I was like, well, that sounds really cool. And she's like, have you heard of the Naval Academy? And I was like, no. <laughs> and she's like, well, for one, it's preschool. And two, it's a great campus um, and great schooling. And it kind of like will set you up uh, for a lifetime. And I was like, well, that sounds like a really good deal. So my sophomore year, I think I applied to their summer seminar. I got in and summer seminar is basically just like summer camp. You know, you get like a little taste of what being a, a military school or program is like. Um, and then you kind of go home to think about it. So I had a great time. I met a lot of friends and some of those friends also ended up be, uh, being in my plea beer in, in class of 2015. Um, and so I was like, you know what, let's do it. I don't know if I'll get in because <laughs> I don't have the highest standardized test scores. You know, my ACT is fine. It was fine, but it wasn't stellar. You know, my SAT even worse. But what I did have was like perfect grades. I was in every club sport that you could think of. I was an extremely well-rounded student. And so that together looked really well as a package saying, hey, did can she do really great on tests? Uh, maybe, but, <laughs> but she works really hard and she obviously knows how to manage her time. Um, so I applied to the Naval Academy and I ended up getting in, which was insane to me. I kind of had already applied to, you know, University of Alabama. I had applied to other schools because that's kind of where I was prioritizing things. I didn't even think I was going to get in. And I got in. Um, and it kind of worked out at the time. My grandfather was really, really sick. Um, and as a family, we were taking care of him um, as one does. So uh, it was also financially beneficial for me to go to a school that was pretty much paid for, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's why I joined. I actually joined because of the financial opportunity and I joined because it could get me the heck out of Mississippi <laughs> for a short while. And it was just something that, that no one around me was doing. Yeah. And so I went to the Naval Academy and I didn't expect to want to stay for the friends and experiences and the new exposures that I had. So, so that's kind of uh, how I ended up there. Now tell me about, I don't know much about the Naval Academy um, as far as getting in, but I know it is very competitive. And actually the application process, don't you have to get like letters of recommendation from a senator and different things like that? 
Yes. So you have to get, uh, I think, one letter of recommendation from a senator or a House of Repres uh, Representative, or you could get like a presidential nomination. I think the president gives out like between <laughs> one and five every year. Yeah. Uh, the vice president as well. You know, pretty much every level of government um, you can apply. So that I got mine from Senator Thad Cochran, I think he okay. was at the time. Um, he's the one that gave me my, my nomination. And that's a two-part thing. So you can have stellar grades and everything, but if you don't get a letter of recommendation, you cannot get in. Same thing, you know, the other way around. If your uh, letter of recommendation looks stellar, but your application package for academics is less than, uh, you cannot get in. You also have to have an interview with a blue and gold officer, which is essentially a former uh, graduate that interviews you, assesses your character, personality, uh, you know, just something in like a short one hour interview um, to see like, hey, are they a good fit? Uh, is this the type of person that we want to put through school? And so it's a, it's a multi-step uh, process. Yeah. So thank you for sharing because this is great for, you know, anyone, students, you know, no matter what level you're on, if you're applying for college, applying for medical professional school or an early physician mm -hmm. applying for uh, a residency program, grades and scores are one thing, but being a total package, um, having uh, community service, having extracurricular activities, and then also the ability to network is huge um, anytime you're applying for a position. It's not just what the paper says. And actually for exactly. selection committees, they get very bored just reading papers. They want to hear about someone that's different. <laughs> and they're actually excited about someone who's different that jumps off the paper, no matter what it is. Applying to medical school, but you can play an instrument or you're a drummer or you travel with a band or whatever it is. They want to see something that's just not mundane. Oh, I'm a biology pre-med major and I have a 3.9 GPA. So. Yeah, I think I think that's that's what the application process taught me is I already knew going in that my test scores were low or lower than the class average. But I was like, hey, I've got extracurriculars, I've got spunk, I've got writing skills, you know, like yes. I am gonna shoot my shot. And it ended up being, you know, when I got to the academy, my class advisor or my um school advisor who was kind of like guiding me through picking classes and everything, he was like, hey, you actually got in because you were a well-rounded applicant and not because of your scores. Like we already knew your scores were lower. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously they met the men to pass, but we know your scores were low, but the reason we picked you is because you interview well, you have excellent writing skills, you work extremely hard and you, know, you do great at it. So it was very validating to hear that just because I don't look like the cookie cutter applicant doesn't mean that my story and my skills don't have value absolutely absolutely so from a small town now you're at the naval academy and how do you decide that you want to become a naval flight officer um okay so i'm gonna be honest here and it's kind of so in aviation now you kind of don't want to admit that you picked something else you know your community wants to know that you pick them first mm -hmm. but i actually had selected something else as my first choice and the reason was because i had just torn my achilles tendon months before and i already knew that the aviation process was going to be more physically demanding 
um, than an alternative community. And I was like, I don't know if my Achilles is going to be up and running. I don't want to delay my training. I don't want to risk re-injuring it. And so I'm going to pick something that I think is physically more safe, uh, but I know that I'm perfectly capable of contributing to, and then we'll go with that. What ended up happening was your senior year when you put in your service selection. So you have six communities that you can choose from. Um, they have a service selection board that kind of decides, hey, this community, uh, aviation, for example, is short on applicants and we need to reallocate people from one community to another. And so they actually called me to go before the board because they're like, hey, you have great grades um, and you interview extremely well. Uh, have you thought about going aviation. And I was like, well, I am currently in a scooter and a cast in front of you. And you're <laughs> yeah, asking me right. if I want to go aviation. Yeah. And I was like, I've never once touched a plane. I don't know anything about it, you know. Um, but they're like, you know what? You seem flexible. And right. so, and you're obviously academically inclined. So we think that you would do well if we threw you into it with like zero exposure. Um, and so the thing is, I actually left that interview thinking that I had like convinced them of what I wanted, you know, because mm. they were all laughing by the end. And I was like, yes, I really want them over. And then come service selection in December, they hand me my thing and it says Naval Flight Officer. And I was like, well, okay. Now this is your senior <laughs> year at the this. academy? <laughs> yes. And I'm still, I was still in a boot uh, for my Achilles tendon at the time when I service, when I got that selection. So it kind of, put on a little bit of stress because I was like, all right, my Achilles tendon is already healing slowly. Right. So now we need to start ramping up this healing timeline because I need to be ready for um, when I go down to Pensacola and start my aviation training. Um, and a lot of headaches, a lot of tears later, it would actually turn out that when you get down to Pensacola, they have this chip trail where you run your first uh, PRT. And I had only ever trained on flat ground and I was doing really well on flat ground, but for whatever reason, the loose, and it's like chips, it's like wood chips and sand is what you run the track on. And I had only ever, I had not seen it before. And when I ran it, I had excruciating pain. Just, it was, it was, it was, I was actually in tears and I stopped on the track and I was like, I cannot do this anymore. Like this is physically, I feel like my Achilles tendon is about to tear again. Yeah. because of the strain. So because of that, they actually pulled my um, flight status because they were like, hey, her physical, like she can't run this trail. You have to run the trail in order to get into the class. Like you cannot run it on flat ground for whatever reason. Even though I fought it, I was like, hey, I'm running a perfect PRT on the track five feet away from this. So tell me sand PRT, trail. what's PRT? Why can't I just do it? Give me so it's your physical, so the PRT is your physical readiness test. Okay. Uh, everyone in the Navy takes it twice a year, but while you're in training, they kind of hold you to a higher standard. So at the academy, you're not allowed to swim it or bike it or anything. You have to do uh, push-ups, sit-ups, and a run. Um, and then also in aviation training, I'm not, sh I can't speak for other communities, but while you're in the aviation pipeline, it's the same thing. You can only run it. You can't, uh, bike it, swim, row, any of the cardio alternatives that are available to you in the fleet, because in the fleet, you know, our bodies are a little bit more <laughs> broken down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so having, um, alternatives like swimming, for example, would have been awesome on someone that just had a, an Achilles tendon recovery. 
but at the time, you know, they were like, hey, if you want to get here, this is what you're going to do. So, so how like, long you are you supposed what? to run? I'm going to do it. How far are you supposed to run? So it's so it's a mile and a half, but okay. and it's in different time. You have different uh, times based off of gender and age. So for uh, for whatever reason, I couldn't make it past like one loop on the trail because I was in that much pain. And so I was evaluated by physicians over the course of the next, I think, like eight months. I went back into physical therapy. I actually did a PRP as well. Um, which I, I don't know what a PRP actually stands for. But yeah, platelet-rich plasma. Yeah, platelet-rich plasma. So you got that yeah. injection in your Achilles. Yeah. Okay, so um, now we're talking real MRI orthopedics. And... <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're really in here. Yeah. Um, and it actually made a night and day difference. I don't know what those white blood cells did, but <laughs> it kind of just took away the like screaming chronic pain that I was in. And like the next day I was like, all right, let's go. And right. I ran it on the track, perfect time. And they were like, all right, you're in class now. Wow. <laughs> and I had to fight the Navy. I almost went to med board because it was taking too much time for my Achilles tendon to recover. So this is extremely stressful, right? Like uh, you, I had a physical recovery at the academy, which is hard because again, they don't let you do any other cardio alternative. So I had to run way sooner than I wanted to. And I actually got them to wave it so that I could swim. And of course I crushed the swim test because I'm like, I am physically in shape. I just have an Achilles tendon injury. Right. Um, so I crashed my swim test. I graduated. I did everything that I needed for my waiver paperwork, which, which took another PRT in order to get the waiver granted. Then I go down to Pensacola. I finally, finally am able to make it through the chip trail without tearing anything. And then I'm on my way. So that entire Achilles tendon process from start to finish actually took me two years. Wow. Which is a really long time to recover, but my body does not heal quickly from ligament injuries, as we'll get into it. Yeah. So, so yeah. So that graduate... was my entire delay. All right. So you graduated from the Naval Academy and you are an, a lieutenant when you graduate. Is that correct? I'm actually an ensign. So when you commission, you're an ensign, which is an O1 or officer one. Okay. Um, and now I'm an O3 and plus some years. So uh, you automatically rank up every two years until you're a lieutenant. And then from there, they start looking at your overall career and experience from the day you commission until now. And that's when they start picking, uh, selecting you for further promotion. So from now until before, they would be looking at my actual performance and not just time and service. Gotcha. So we graduated from Naval Academy. Now you're at the Naval Air Station, right, in Pensacola, and you yes. are entering into flight school. This is 2015, right? Yes. All right. And we've recovered from our Achilles, starting flight school. Let's start from there. But first, I want to touch on the fact that, like you said, your body was killing you but you didn't give up. What did that no. come from as a female graduated from the Naval Academy? I mean, how many people, what's the ratio, male to female ratio? Uh, oh gosh, I think there's maybe like a couple hundred females compared to the other 1,000 males. Exactly. Like I wanna say maybe 20%, yeah. Sure, and let's say 20% female 
and how many uh, African American females or you know minority females? Oh my gosh, even less. Like I want to say there's maybe thirty. Yeah, right. So I I don't know, but it's not a lot. <laughs> yeah, not a lot at all. But you know, I think you mentioned something to me before about what your dad used to tell you um, about leaving the Naval Academy or any time that you thought about leaving. Was there a saying that he used to tell you? He always used to put me toward, um, it's like, be strong and courageous because the Lord is with you, you know, like, it's kind of like, Hey, I know that you're waiting on me to move, but I need you to also be brave and go fight your battles and be about your business. And I will be right there with you. And it took a while, like that time, it was actually a little bit of a dark time because while I was training and doing physical therapy and recovering, my friends were moving on, you know, they Mm -hmm. were going through the class, they were moving on to further aviation training. And I was sitting there fighting my body, trying to get it to work, you know? Um, So it was a dark time spiritually. I still don't know to this day what that delay was supposed to teach me it did teach me a lot of things but it wasn't like one existential realization that the lord was trying to teach me um it was just a season (laughs) it was hard yeah uh but at at the end of the day the lord like was with me even when i was trying 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 to to get through and i'd imagine that process that you were going through was preparation for things later in life that you had to encounter Oh, oh my goodness. I think it taught me, number one, that I was never, uh, I never took for granted physical abilities ever again. I've never been the fastest person. Um, I'm fairly strong, but uh, I never took for granted being able to walk again. I never took for granted not being in pain again. I never took it for granted because in a second it could be gone. And I wanted to honor that. Yeah. Let's talk about the first time that you were actually in a fighter jet inside a plane, like going full speed. What was that experience like? Uh, So the first time I was in a plane, believe it or not, it's this little like Cessna or actually I trained on a Piper Cherokee first. So if you haven't done uh, IFS, which is like, again, I can't at initial flight school, I guess I can't I cannot remember what IFS stands for. We have so many acronyms. Yeah. Um, if you didn't do that before you showed up, you had to do that. And now I think they actually compile the two classes together. So it's initial flight training and then your API, uh, which is your four week class of navigation, aerodynamics, you know, and a lot of other things. Um, and they've combined that program, but back in the, back in my day, it was separate and you actually train and you get your, uh, solo, which is like, I think 10 hours in a little plane. And I freaked out. I was like, the wind could blow this little paper <laughs> out of the sky. Like, that's how exposed to the elements I felt as someone who has never, ever touched the controls before outside of just a big wing plane that you would fly commercially, which is extremely stable. Um, but eventually I got the hang of it, you know, uh, it wasn't the most graceful landing, but I got it. And then you move on to the T6, which is, uh, slightly more high powered between, I would say it's between a jet and, um, a little Cherokee. It's still a prop engine, but, um, that 
was even better because the more power that you have behind the jet, the less exposed to the elements that you are. Obviously, you're still at risk, but I just couldn't feel like every inclination of wind, you know, when we were in flight. And so after a couple uh, flights of getting used to what it's like talking and being in different airspaces, navigating your way home and back. Uh, I started to get the hang of it. And eventually I just got better and better. Um, after you're done with primary, which is what the T6 trains in. And sorry, this is the Naval Flight Officer pipeline because the pilots have very different training. Yeah. Um, after the T6, you move on to, on to the T45, which is a small single engine jet. And that is really where they start to train um a little bit of what an nfo does and is responsible for in the fleet so they train briefing to where you will brief an entire everybody in your flight what you're doing today uh which route you're taking what bombs you're going to drop what plane of attack you're going to do you know they start introducing basic tactics i love the way you just said yeah you briefed everybody (laughs) on what bombs you're going to (laughs) drop you you say that and don't even skip a beat yeah all right, we're about to drop three bombs yeah. over here and, you know, <laughs> keep pushing. Exactly. Yeah. Obviously, we didn't have anything live, uh, but um, you still perform like the mechanics and the timing and where to be uh, in a particular piece of sky uh, at the right time so that you can help the people on the ground that you're assisting. Um, gotcha. And so that was advanced and it probably took. I think 10 years off my life. It was so hard. There has, that is still to this day, the hardest training or academic thing that I've ever done, including the Naval Academy. (laughs) So you are. That's how rigorous it was. So you're a Naval flight officer. Tell me what's the difference between Naval flight officer and a pilot. Well, for starters, the Naval flight officer does not fly. So they don't actually touch the controls. Their purpose of being in that platform is uh, mission specific. So, uh, for example, an NFO in the F-18, which is what I I fly in, is going to be different from a Growler, which does electronic warfare. It's going to be different from a P-8. It's going to be different from, you know, uh, E-2. Uh, They all have different platforms, but the primary purpose is that the NFO runs the mission set. So whatever your platform is designed for, the NFO is coordinating. I don't want to say kind of like a quarterback, but it's kind of like a quarterback. Yeah. uh, They're coordinating with all the other players. (laughs) Yeah. They're coordinating with all the other players uh, to meet an objective. Um, And so that is the, that is the role of the NFO and the pilot again, depending on the platform, will be either with there with you 50-50 or they will have more of a bus driver role. You know, it just depends. But you are actually in the plane, in the jet with the pilot, correct? Yes. So the F-18 Foxtrot, so there's an Echo, which is a single seat. The Foxtrot has a pilot in the front and then the NFO sits behind them and runs um, the mission. Gotcha. All right. So very serious job. I mean, and like you said, you're someone who at the end actually were thinking about doing something else, but they saw what they needed in you for you to be a Naval flight officer. And tell us about how you did and you had to go through endure all this stuff. Like you said, two years recovering from Achilles tendon. How did you perform as far as your rank in your Naval flight school? 
Okay, so it's, it's two years for the Achilles tendon, but it was actually more like eight months post-graduation when I started my flight training. Um, I finished API at the very bottom. I, fa- I failed my one navigation exam and I had to go back and do it again. But And I finished 36 out of 36 kids uh, because of that one failure, because that's how high the performance is. Uh, and then from then on, I never failed another academic test or evolution ever again. So I just continued to climb in the ranks as I got more comfortable, as I got more experience, as I got uh, friends that had the same goals and study objectives that I did. Um, and eventually I finished flight school and got my wings at the top of my class. Um, top of your class. But I think at the top of my class, yeah. But in the class <laughs> before that, I was second. And then the class before that, I was third. You know, so I just continued to work hard uh, and then I finished on top. Right. So that shows you what hard work can get you, right? Perseverance, persistence, you know, starting from the bottom. I mean, that's it. Started from the bottom. Now we're here, right? From the actual bottom. bottom. (laughs) Yes. To get first in your class. So what's the wings of gold? What does that mean? So you're... Wings of gold is when you have finished all of your flight or not all of it, but your all of your student flight training, you get your wings They're I think they're made of gold. I mean, by now they could be gold plated. I don't know, but they feel pretty <laughs> hefty. Uh, and they actually After all that, you should get 24 karat gold, right? I know. <laughs> I know. Um, they pin them on your chest and you are a certified bonafide aviator, right? Like you are, you are qualified with your warfare designator as an NFO or as a pilot. Uh, Obviously you have training still like that, that doesn't stop your training and there's training right after that. But um, that is the day that you get pinned um, as your warfare qualifier. And it's probably the biggest day in most aviators careers. So what did take me to that day? What did you feel that day? Um, I was exhausted. (laughs) I, I think I gave everything I had in advance. Like I said, it was probably one of the hardest schools I've ever done. Um, physically, uh, mentally, emotionally draining. And I ended that, I think I ended my career, like that school, just knowing that I did not get there by myself. It was like an entire God thing because I had just completely surrendered to what his plan was for me at the time. And I, I continued to work hard, but he's, his grace just kind of like showed throughout my entire journey. And I couldn't even believe that I was there, let alone at the top of my class. So I was like, wow, I mean, God really will do it. Yeah. <laughs> so That's awesome. it was a, it was a huge day for me. And it was a huge day for my family. Right. So like you said, I'm first generation American. My parents have never had anyone in the in the military before. Um, and so it was a big day for our family because they're like, wow, she is like actually qualified to go do things um, <laughs> or go learn to do bigger things, should I say? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's 2018. So what's next? So now I got my wings ago. What what's next up? Oh, I forgot. Sorry. I actually had one instructor who, who shall remain unnamed, who actually told me that he didn't think that I deserved what I had earned. Um, and it was like objective at that point. And so I ended my winging day actually very sad. Like, so whoa, 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 whoa. This is at the graduation ceremony. Yeah. 
after right after the graduation ceremony, he came up to me and told me that I didn't deserve anything. Um, he thought that my other, you know, male counterpart should have been ranked above me. And I was like, I was so awkward. I was so awkward at the time and kind of like in shock uh, because I was like, this is objective. Like the instructors grade you. It is a number system, you know, that like it's not just something that I could like fudge my way through. So um, I was in shock that he would say that to me. And I, I think I was in shock that he would say that to me on my waning day when it doesn't matter. You know, like this is my one day that I've worked for for so long. And if he wanted to give me that feedback, it should have been the day before, weeks before, days after, you know, any day but that day. So it really crushed my spirits because I was like, am I a fraud? It was a little bit of an imposter sy- syndrome where I kind of like second guess, like, do I actually deserve to be here? what am I doing? You know? And then he also said that he was going to tell everybody on the West coast where I was going, you know, who I was and that I was never going to get anything that I wanted from there. It was a whole thing where I was like, wow, my reputation is already spoiled. And in jet aviation, your reputation is everything. So I was really kind of like distraught, but I moved out to Lamore where I started my F-18 training. And this is where you actually start training in the actual F-18. And you start doing their actual tactics and forms and learning their systems and everything. Um, and I kept my head down and nobody said anything. And I was like, all right, that guy was all talk, first of all. Second of all, he doesn't know what he's saying, right? Like, I know what I've done to work here, to get here, and he can't take that away from me. Wow. I'm floored. I thought you meant that maybe someone, when you first showed up in 2015, and you were struggling to meet your PRT, and you were struggling to recover from your Achilles, that somebody said, hey, you don't belong here. Not the day when you're graduating and getting pinned with your wings of gold, somebody walks up to you and say, you're a fraud, you don't belong here. Yeah, and you know what's actually funny about that Achilles tendon situation is I worked so hard, and and it was evident to some of the instructors in the schoolhouse that decided whether or not students who were struggling, you know, stayed and continued or they kicked them out of the aviation training. And they used my journey or my story as a metric to compare whether or not a student has worked hard enough or shown that they really, really want to be here uh, and whether or not they should keep them, like retain them or kick them out. Like I was used as the bar uh, for, for comparison. So that was like another thing where like, people see hard work and they see you trying and they see you doing everything that you can. And that is evidence. Like you don't have to like speak about it. People just see it. All right. We just, I'm, I'm about to deem that the Jessica Grantham rule. So we just coined <laughs> a new term, let your action speak for you. So if you work hard enough, yeah. people will see that you mean business. So that is now the Jessica Grantham term. All right. So now we're in <laughs> California. You have your wings. You're at Lemoore, you said. This is a naval, another naval mm-hmm. air station. So let's start there. Yeah. So this is what year? What year are we in now? We are in June of 2018 is okay. when I got my wings and I moved out to California within two weeks after that. Um, I went down to SEER school, which is your like survival training. And then I came back and then about six months after that, because there was a big uh, backup for students in training. So about six months after that, I will actually start 
applying and studying in the FAT. So at that point, you became a naval flight officer. Were you working in your career at that point? Uh, so we count like um, your uh, first fleet tour as your actual career starter. That's when you actually have evaluations that are graded based off of your performance. Until then, it's kind of like a non-observed on your fit, fit rep or fitness report uh, because you're just a student in training. So not quite. I'm still kind of I'm, I'm, a, I'm a qualified naval flight officer, but I'm still in a training role uh, because I haven't finished the fleet, re fleet replacement squadron, FRS. Um, I haven't finished that training yet. So that's what we're doing in, that, in 2018. Gotcha. Okay. All right, so let's talk about um, getting married. So tell us about <laughs> your husband and what he happens to do as well. And then we're going to talk about this wedding. Uh, okay, well, funnily enough, I met my husband in 2011. He was the only other kid in Laurel that was going to the Naval Academy. I hadn't met him before that. And it was so unusual for small town Laurel to have two kids going to the Naval Academy that they did a little uh, interview in the paper. It was, it was really dumb, you know, very simple. <laughs> like two kids are going to the Naval Academy. What do you know? <laughs> Imagine what it would have um, been now with uh, hometown. I know, I know. <laughs> um, but uh, we end up being in sister, which means that uh, your companies are right next together in pairs. So I was in ninth company and he was in 10th company. We lived either on the same floor or one floor above each other all four years. Um, and we were just friends, you know, um, we were friends. We had a little bit of a falling out junior year um, after one terrible date. Uh, and then I think about 10 months later, we're like, hey, are we ready to be best friends again? And we we're like, yeah. And then he selects NFO, I select NFO. We have the same report date. So we drive down together in a caravan. Um, I have my little Achilles tendon snafu. So he's continuing. So this is how he leapfrogs me. So he, we were on the same timeline and then he kind of got out about six months ahead of me because of my injury. And then we're kind of going through and like, you know, he selects jets, I select jets. Like some more, I select some more. <laughs> um, so at some point, I think in the spring of 2018, both of our sisters graduated from Mississippi College in this at the same day. Um, and I didn't know that he had come back to Laurel for the graduation ceremony. Lo and behold, he was trying to surprise me and he didn't realize that they were in different ceremonies. So he shows up and he's like, oh no, she was there earlier that day. So I was like, well, it's not a big deal. You know, like we both live in Laurel. I'll just see you when you get home. Yeah. So we met that at that evening at his parents' house. And it was kind of like we had not stopped talking since he moved. I mean, we were just right out the bat. And I felt like sparks were flying at the time, you know? And so I set it up because I was like, listen, I know he likes me, but I need him to say it, you know? Right. And he didn't say it. So I was like, you know what? I'm mad now because I want you to say that you like me. So he's like, fine, fine, fine. I like you now what and i was like oh because <laughs> at the time he was in lamore and i was still in pensacola and he's like well now what you know like i don't want you to choose where you go based off of me and coming out of flight school for an nfo and the f-18s you have two options you either have virginia beach or you have lamore california and i had been weighing both 
But after a while, I realized that they were the same school. And I was like, you know what? If I don't explore this, then we'll never know. So I went out to NAS Lamore and within a week, I think we went on our first date. Um, and I was so nervous because I thought it was going to be weird again, like our one bad date junior year. But <laughs> it was great. It was a great day. And I think, you know, we went on another date and another date and another date. Because we'd known each other for so long and we were already very, very good friends. Our families know each other. It really felt accelerated. Like three months felt like six months, you know, six months felt like we'd already been dating a year, but really, you know, it was a short time. And at that time, there's really not a lot to figure out, you know, like I knew his character. I knew he was an excellent friend. He was extremely kind. And, you know, we kind of fell And then we got married. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, my daughters had the opportunity of being in your wedding and yes. the first night, tell us about the the traditional ceremony that you had the first night. So because uh, we're from Uganda, my parents are from Uganda and I just claim their heritage because I, I was not born there, sadly. You, we have this thing called a Kwanjula, which is essentially where, and it's all very ceremonial. It's not actually like a business deal anymore but it's kind of like where you join your two tribes together like that's the first time the tribes are meeting each other getting to know each other it's kind of like a what do you bring to the table what do you bring to the table you know how many cows are you bringing you know like that's traditionally like way back in history that's what it was for now it's just an opportunity for both families to come together and they have this whole kind of like ceremony and it's called a kwanjula and that's what you do. And it's usually two weeks prior to the wedding at a minimum. Um, and then you have your actual Western wedding. And actually, the Kwanjula is seen as a traditional wedding. So mm -hmm. when you have your Kwanjula, you are actually traditionally married after that day. Uh, but most people will do another Western wedding, you know, with a white dress and standard everything um, as well. So I was like, well, I can't get my Navy people to be with me in one place twice in one right. year it's already hard enough to get one <laughs> and i can't do the same with my ugandan family so i was like we are going to make our rehearsal dinner our kwanjula and we're just going to include everybody in it uh and then the next day we're going to have our senior wedding so with the kwanjula i actually don't appear until like halfway through you know because you have our little flower girls if you will kind of go out before me you know, and everybody gets to meet them first. And my husband's like, you know what? I still don't see my bride anywhere. You know, where's my bride? Where's my bride? And then I come out with all my bridesmaids, you know, we're dancing, we're celebrating, you know, we come out and then finally he's like, oh, there's my bride. There she is. And he kind of picks me out of my group of bridesmaids and kind of like says, hey, this is my bride to everybody. Yeah, so my kids love that ceremony so much that now I have to have a traditional Ugandan wedding when they get married. <laughs> Do it! I mean, we now, it was funny because doing it in the U.S. was so hard. You know, like the, the dance troupe and the yeah. MC, we actually flew out from California because there's not a lot of like Ugandan dancers, you know, in Mississippi, in the US. really. Uh, in Mississippi, really, yeah. <laughs> I think there's like a hub in Houston and there's like a little hub in LA. So we flew them out to come be part of the Kwanjula so that it would feel authentic. You know, it would actually feel like we were there. We cooked all traditional foods. You know, we got it. We got you hooked up if you if you ever want to do it. We got all you. Right. Yeah, I got you. That was perfect. 
All right. So we made it through Naval Flight School, had an injury, recovered, made it through, got our wings of gold, found love while we're in the Naval Academy. And now life is perfect, right? So the you know, now this is the Disney story and everything else is dreamy, right? That the rest of your life you'll never yeah. have any more trouble. Now what? Oh, Okay, well, uh, right after that, I will actually right before that I will patch to my fleet squadron. So this is like, now the show after I guess what this is now four years in the making five years in the making. Now the show is like really hitting the road. So this is where you actually start to train tactically like real world tactics real world flying you're gonna go on deployment um this is where you actually start training and making your money as a as a naval flight officer um and i was so excited and then about eight months after i'm flying so this is now last year so this is august of 2020 um we have to do this thing called swim fizz every four years so the last time i did it was down in pensacola I now have to do a four-year poll. And this is to, this is actually, you can't step in the jet without this swim fizz uh, qual. It's an ejection seat qual. You have some parachute survival training. You have parachute landing training. You have swim training. You're actually put in this helo dunker where they kind of simulate a helo hitting the water, turning upside down. And that is when you egress uh, and hopefully survive the, the crash. So it's a whole thing. Um, it's only two days and the first day we are doing parachute landing training, which is like maybe a four foot platform and you go once going forward and then once going backwards to simulate if the wind was blowing you backwards Mm -hmm. and you'd still have to land with minimal injury, uh, going backwards. And so the first one going forwards, totally fine. Hit it, nailed it, stop, drop and roll and good. And then the second one going backwards, I don't know what it was. I think I just got disoriented, but instead of landing on two feet, knees bent, going into a roll, very easy. I landed exclusively on my right leg. It was locked out. And from the second I hit the ground, I heard crunch, snap, crackle, pop. And I was like, oh no. (laughs) And I was right after that, I couldn't even walk. Like I knee had swollen to the side of a basketball. I was in so much pain. And I was like, this is not good. Like I cannot continue my swim fist training like this. And just like your favorite drama or soap opera, this is the end of part one. Yep. You got to come back for the next episode to see how the story of Lieutenant Jessica Grantham ends. And if you learned anything from this first episode, you know that she doesn't give up. So if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share it with a friend. And hit that Rate This Podcast button and leave a five-star review. It will be greatly appreciated. Until later, peace.